0: Approaching football is right around the corner as well, so you can get in on the action with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. And with the NFL returning, DraftKings is giving new customers $200 in free bets instantly when you bet $1 or more on any football game. So, listen up because you don't want to miss this. So, download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. And use promo code THPN to receive $200 in free bets when you place a $1 bet on any football game. And get a free shot at a million top prize with your first deposit. That's promo code THPN for a limited time only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only, minimum $5 deposit, and $1 wager required. One per customer. Restrictions apply and see DraftKings.com Sportsbook for details. And have a gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Hello everyone, my name is Ryan Stacey and welcome to the Hockey Minds Podcast. This podcast is powered by Instat, the leader in video and data analysis. Instat Hockey supports all levels of our game worldwide with video breakdowns and or scouting services. For more information, you can visit Instat on the web at instatsport.com or on Twitter at Instat Today, I'm joined by Larry Huras, co-founder of Hockey Coach Vision. In addition to his recent work, Larry has enjoyed a long coaching tenure in Europe, having coached some of the top programs in the world. His primarily European-based career gives us a unique look into that field and that region, and his insight will have listeners craving more after each and every story. With that, I'm happy to present to you Larry Huras co-founder of hockey coach vision today on the podcast we're joined by larry Heris co-founder of hockey coach vision larry thanks for joining the podcast
1: thanks for the invitation ryan i'm always happy to talk hockey
0: Yes, definitely. And I, you know, there's a lot of hockey talk going to happen in this conversation. Um, Definitely people would recognize the brand there, but, uh, you know, a lot of experience in in coaching in Europe and and, and some things like that. So let's dive right into it here. Uh, But first, maybe just talk about you personally, talk about your upbringing, playing sports in your early years and just give people some more background on you.
1: Yeah, I'm a typical Canadian hockey player story. I grew up, uh, you know, grew up in the country. Uh, went to a two-room schoolhouse uh, for, uh, for quite a while and then, you know, grew up in essentially the Elmira, Ontario area, played my minor hockey there, went to high school there. And uh, one of my biggest claims to fame, and I don't have all that many, is that I was an original member of the 1971 Elmira Sugar Kings junior B hockey team. So uh, just celebrating 50 years uh, this year of that team. So that was quite a while ago. And from that team, I was there for one year, got drafted by the Kitchener Rangers and played three years uh, for the Rangers. I was a captain of the team last year I was there and then got drafted by the New York Rangers and that uh, was their organization for two years, played two games with New York and then was traded to St. Louis. Uh, basically spent uh, three years in the minors and then after that, I went to Europe. And in 1980, I went to France as a player and I was there for 13 years and the last uh, six years as a player coach in Rouen, and then uh, from there, started my my coaching career. So I moved to Switzerland in 1994. And then basically, uh, since then, I uh, was in Switzerland for more or less 20 years with some stops uh, along the way in some other countries. And in uh, Sweden, Germany, uh, Norway, Austria, I've been fired just about everywhere, Ryan. So uh, you get to travel a lot when you're a professional coach in Europe.
0: Yeah, no, uh, you know, there's so many interesting stops and kind of going through your resume. I was able to, uh, you know, bring some questions for each and every one. But, uh, you know, an incredible story, just being able to go, uh, you know, from Elmira and kind of make your way uh, to different parts of the world and have success and a lot of success, as we'll see throughout the interview as well. But uh, the first thing I want to talk about here is your role as a a player coach uh, in there in France. You talked about that a little bit, just touched on it there. Uh, maybe just talk about uh, maybe the expectations in that role for you and just overall experience kind of dipping your foot into coaching while still having that player background.
1: Uh, It was a great experience. For for me, it allowed me to get into coaching pretty early. I think I was 32 or 33 uh, when uh, I made that switch over and I had this opportunity to to change from my team. I was in southern France in a a town called Gap and uh, had this opportunity to move to Rouen as a player coach and I thought this was pretty good. i thought about coaching, but I still wanted to play. So it was actually perfect for me. Uh, the very first lesson I learned about coaching was in my very first meeting I had with my players. And I remember I had all the players in the, in the gym upstairs uh, in the rink up there. And we we sat around and we, we talked about the season and talked about goal setting and the things we wanted to do and how the team was going to be run and type things. And then, you know, one of the last things I said is I said, and no matter what, I know one thing, is I can beat the crap out of every one of you guys in this room. And everybody kind of chuckled, but then you hear this voice in the back that said, not all of us at the same time, you can't. And that, everybody got a laugh, but that really made a point because that's what coaching is all about. It doesn't matter how smart, how big, how tough you are. If you don't have the team behind you, if you have a team functioning with you as your coach, you're done. You, you you cannot have success uh, and a coach. And today it's even more challenging because the players are more demanding. I think it's more of a business relationship where everybody has to kind of cooperate and kind of work together. Uh, the days of just, you know, do it because I, I'm saying to do it. Uh, those are behind you. So there's definitely a lot more finesse involved. But uh, the biggest change for me going from just a player to a player coach was that, When I was a player, I was kind of in the middle of everything, like every party, every practical joke. I love being part of the team. And and uh, when you're a coach, I had to kind of slowly withdraw from that. Like I was still in the dressing room. I would still be able to go up after the the game and have a couple of beers with the guys. But I couldn't hang around. It was not the same uh, because I couldn't demand the types of things that I had to demand of them and then hang out with them and be their friend. So that was probably the most challenging thing for me because I love my guys. I really did. And I wanted to be around. And that was always a problem for me uh, as a pro coach and still is. I still want to hang with the guys. So I want to be in their dressing room more than me, mine. And because it's a lot more fun. That's where everything's happening on. That's where all the gags are, the jokes are, everything there. But I know I shouldn't be in there. Uh, but I try to limit the amount of time that I'm in there with the guys. But uh, I always love that. It's the one thing that you miss about the game when you move apart from it. It's not so much the playing of it, it's being part of the group. And I think if you ask anybody that played a long time and you ask them what they miss most about the game, I think most of them are going to say they miss being part of the team and they miss being, you know, around the boys and all the fun that they had.
0: Yeah, no, I think that is a, you know, a really good point. And uh, some other people on the podcast who've kind of gone from that playing to coaching transition, I believe we only have one who actually did the player coach role, but uh, everybody kind of talks about that adjustment, you know, from being around the team and having fun every day to kind of being in a management or a leadership role where you have to take that a different approach and uh, sometimes even with the group that you had just played with. So definitely uh, an interesting dynamic there. But uh, following your time as a player, you would then move into your first head coach role in Switzerland. Um, again, maybe talk about that position and that adjustment and just how it was a little bit different this time now being all in on the coaching side.
1: Well, uh, it was a bit of a shocker going from uh, from France and Rouen, where we didn't lose many games at all, and going to a team in Switzerland that had been kind of a cellar dweller for years. But when you're moving from France into the NLA and Switzerland, you can't be too fussy about where you're going to. It was it was great just to have the opportunity to coach in that league. So I knew it was going to be difficult, but I didn't know how difficult it was going to be. Uh, and It was a a big challenge. We we didn't have a lot of talent on that first team, but we we worked hard and we had a bunch of good guys and we ended up making the playoffs that year and we ended up having a good second half of the season. But man, it was tough. We started that season, we didn't win a game in our first, I think, 12 games or 13 games. And that was in a 36 game schedule. We had three ties, but we just had a, a team that had a losing mentality. It was just part of their culture. So we had to change the mindset of these players and change the culture. And I think that was one of the, the, the most difficult things to do. But I tell people I learned more about coaching in the first three months I was in Zurich than I did in my last three years when I was in Rouen. Because what you find out in coaching, Ryan, is that you learn a lot more from your losses than you do from your wins. You know, and then there's times like in Rouen, we went one calendar year, one calendar year, from I think it was from October to October, we did not lose one game. And uh, we went to uh, we were in European Cup finals uh, uh, four times. Two of those we got early. Went to uh, we went uh, to the Europe. Yeah, sorry, we went to European Cup finals twice and semifinals four times in four years. So on the European scene, we were doing things that weren't done before. But that being said, when you get to Switzerland, it's a different league, different players, different situation, and you have to learn how to adapt quickly. Uh, because I survived those 12 games. We won 13, we won 14, we ended up making the playoffs. Uh, but that could have been the end of my career in in uh, in Switzerland very, very quickly. Uh, but um, from that, we learned a lot and went on from there. And, and uh, we did have a lot of success.
0: Definitely, definitely. And then, you know, just taking those experiences. And like you said, you learn a lot from the losing, but eventually you kind of want to transition into that winning and uh, moving forward a little bit here uh, with Zurich Lions, you would eventually win the NLA championship. Um, talk about that year in particular, your first championship and the chance to win with that program and and just, uh, you know, all the things that you felt going through that uh, winning season.
1: Yeah, it was certainly a process, but it began the first time I was in Zurich a few years before, because the very first time I walked into the was, which is the name of the rink in Zurich. Um, when I walked up into the press box, I was there with the president and he said, just go up in the press box and check out the rink. And I walked up there and it was, the lights were low and it was kind of, it's a big rink. It sat about 12,000 people. And I just had this feeling, this is where I'm supposed to be. You know, like it's not as though I heard voices from the sky or God was talking to me personally, but it's just a feeling that came upon me. But I felt that this is where I'm supposed to be. So I ended up signing contract there, work my butt off. And, but after two years I had to leave. And we were just getting to the point where we're good. And I was kind of asking, you know, myself and challenging my faith saying, well, why would you lead me to this place and have me work so hard? And we're just getting to the point where we're getting good. And now I've got to go. Well, the answer is, is that I, from that, when I left Zurich, I went to Ombri and I was in Ombri for four years, had a great time. We won uh, two Continental Cups. We won a super Super Cup. We were European champions with a village of 400 people. So It was really a great experience. And then what happened, Zurich called me to come back. So they wanted me to come back to Zurich. Of course, it was a new owner, it was a different team, they had a different budget. And then we went on that first year and we won the championship. So it was the right place where I was supposed to be. It just wasn't the right time. So you have to kind of look back in life at times to see how the pieces of everything fit together on the path that you walk and see how things that happened to you in the past when you're kind of questioning why things happened to you or why things happen the way they do, it's only later on in life you see how all the pieces fall together. And that's kind of what happened in Zurich. So we had uh, a very good team. We had Mark Strike on that team. Mark had come back. He was in North America, came back. And then he was there for a, a year or two and then went back and had a very successful uh, career in the National Hockey League. So we had some good players on that team. But uh, it was a tough, tough season. I learned a lot. I could do the whole podcast just on that one season in Zurich about all the things that I learned about coaching and about myself that year. But at the end of the day, we got the job done, and that was that was that was a great thing. That was a great moment when we won that championship.
0: Yeah, and you know, great moments definitely the the first championship in anybody's career I think is always special. And guests on the podcast as well, I've also touched on. Just how special that first moment is.
1: We had won four championships in Rouen before I got there, definitely. but it was the it was the first one in Switzerland. So yeah. that was that was a big one because that kind of solidified my reputation and solidified me as as a as a, as a bona fide top coach uh, in Switzerland and in Europe. So that was really a breakthrough moment for me for my career for sure, no doubt,
0: definitely. Yeah, I think that's that's really, uh, you know, outstanding and, and, you know, having the experience that of winning before and then winning as a coach and, and kind of cementing yourself as a high caliber coach, a top tier coach. Uh, eventually, you'd go on to another program this time, HC Lugano. And sure enough, again, uh, another championship would come. Uh, maybe talk about that program specifically and then maybe how that run was different uh, from the previous championship with Zurich.
1: Yeah, Lugano was, everyone is special. Lugano was very special in that um, a good friend of mine, uh, the late, great Jim Coliff, uh, who uh, became a, quite a good friend of mine. We played against each other as juniors, and we kind of knew each other through, through uh, professional hockey and, and then uh, played against each other. And anyways, with Jim had a long relationship with Jim, and Jim had been coaching in Lugano, and they ended up, he ended up getting fired and I was available at that time. And so I got called up because I just missed going to Lugano a couple of years before. Uh, but I, had a, I, I knew the people there and they knew me. So they called me up. And um, it was probably early November, late October, probably early November uh, when I went in there. And the team was in seventh place. And I knew that they had good players. And it just was not a functional group. It just the way that they were working together wasn't functioning. And so basically the changes that I made going in was basically uh, giving everybody a very clear idea of, of the type of team that we wanted to be, the type of culture that we were going to create, and then went about setting out jobs and roles for every player on the team. Before I got there was kind of a star system where the top you know, the top two lines played you know, 70% of the game and the, and the third and fourth line guys didn't really have much. They were just kind of chipping in, where all of a sudden... You know, our fourth line became our top checking line. So they were playing against the top, the top lines in the league. They were killing penalties. We had a third power play unit. So basically what we did is we got everybody involved and we kind of got more of a team uh, type of atmosphere going. And we got on a roll. We lost the very first game that, that I coached, but then I think we won seven in a row. But anyways, we got there in November. By Christmas, we were in first place. So we went from seventh place to first place in a few months. We ended up that season, I believe, in third place, maybe at the end of the season. But we went on and we beat uh, Del Curto's Devos in the finals, uh, four games to two, after getting down two nothing. And uh, we got down two nothing and came back and won four in a row with back-to-back shutouts in the last two games. So it was really a really an outstanding performance for our group. Uh, but the first thing that I did uh, when I interviewed after that was thank Jim Koloff. Uh, for all the hard work that he did he put that team together he had trained that team my timing was just perfect I walked in there I gave them a different look of things gave them a different way of thinking about things and just uh gave them confidence just tell everybody said hey you're a good player we're a good team we can get this done and uh things just worked out but um uh it was it was a great experience like going like that and, and walking and I had a great time in Lugano I was there for four years the first time and then went back for a couple more later on but uh uh, one of the my my most favorite places to coach for sure met a lot of great people had a lot of great players go through that organization
0: yeah and we've had uh, two guests I believe so far who have also been Lugano just saying the the high caliber of the organization the players and the people Um, you know working in the front office and in, in the hockey operations staff and um, you know just interesting to hear how uh, different coaches and their mentalities can have different effects on teams like you said you have A coach who clearly helped build a culture, train the players, build them up to his level. And then you come in and kind of change the gears a little bit and and see the team, um, you know, take what they learned early on and go on to have further success in the game. And, uh, you know, in in situations like that, it's almost like you're coming into uh, a tournament setting, in in a sense, because you have a short amount of time to kind of turn things around. And um, a lot of times when coaches have that mentality, they see themselves in tournament situations. And for you, Uh, One that I want to talk about is your opportunity to coach at the Spengler Cup. Uh, Maybe just talk about that tournament and then just, you know, again, go over your experience uh, coaching there at that level.
1: Oh, well, anytime you have a chance to represent your country, it's always a fabulous thing. Like when you get a chance to work with uh, Hockey Canada and and, uh, Team Canada, I've had the opportunity working with them on three different occasions. And when you walk into that dressing room, when you walk into that Team Canada dressing room, it's it's electric. I mean, you have Team Canada, Europe, where you have players coming from all different countries, all different teams, and a lot of them playing against each other and, you know, bashing heads every weekend against each other. Uh, But when you get into that dressing room, everybody's Canadian. And everybody, it's just an instant bond by, by everyone. And that's the coaches and staff and players and everybody that's around it. It's just a fantastic experience. I think one of the greatest things about working with with uh, with Team Canada is all the swag that you get. They show up. They've got coats and sweaters and shirts. And they've got all kinds of great Team Canada stuff, which makes great Christmas gifts for, for family and friends later on. Uh, but I got the chance. I was working with Mike Polino, very experienced coach. Uh, Mike... Uh, has just now retired. He's been in Russia for the last few years, had a great run over there, but very experienced coached. And uh, Mark McGregor was the other assistant at that time uh, who was coaching in Switzerland as well at that time. But uh, we had a really, really, really great experience. And what Hockey Canada does too is they bring in all the families. So I was able to bring my family up there and spend that, that whole week with my family. Very nice hotels. They take care of everybody. They really do a good job of organizing everything. But you know, the big thing, you're there for the hockey and the hockey's fun. I mean, it's, it's not the same as league. It's not the same as European cup. It's uh, people are there, they're kind of on vacation, but it's te- at the same time, it's a serious competition. So pe- people come there and they want to win it. So um, that was, uh, that was really uh, uh, my first time with, uh, with hockey Canada and uh, was really a great experience.
0: Yeah. And, and again, anytime you can go with a, a brand as major as hockey Canada, uh, you, you know, you expect to to see the best of it and, and sure enough, you've had a positive experience and then being able to bring your family and all these different things and just makes the experience that much better. And, um, you know, building on some of your experiences and unique experiences, in 2007, you would spend some time in Norway uh, coaching in their league. Um, what was the made the difference this time going to Norway? And uh, what did you take from the experience overall?
1: Well, it was it was an interesting thing. Like uh, I was I had been. And by that time, I had been in the Swiss NLA for oh, over 10 years. I had been there for a while. And I kind of felt like I was like that, that, uh, that, that gerbil running on the, on, the, on the wheel in his cage, just running and running and running and always in the same spot. Like it was the same players, the same league, the same referees, the same questions from the journalists. And, and uh, I just wanted to do something different. And I remember when telling different colleagues when I told them that I was going to Norway, they thought I was crazy, you know, because Norway was kind of looked down to as, as kind of a secondary level, you know, not on the same level as, you know, the Swiss NLA or the KHL or, or, or Germany, uh, uh, the Czech league, etc. cetera. Uh, but I had been there, I was able to participate in the uh, Olympic Games uh, in '94 in Lillehammer. And I had a great experience as a sporting person. It was one of the best experiences like being there and, and just being in the in the middle of everything of the Olympics uh, and Lilyhammer. Hammer. So I had a great experience in Norway. So uh, I was called by George Kingston, uh, George Kingston, who uh, is kind of an icon in, in Canadian hockey, and international hockey. But uh, George was working with the Norwegian Federation at that time. And he knew that uh, Stavanger was looking for a coach and they'd had a couple of Swedish coaches and they'd kind of had a history of Swedish coaches. They wanted to do something different. So they called me up and I was on board right away. I said, yeah, this sounds really good. Sounds like a great challenge. And uh, I loved my experience. We had, again, met some really, really great people. The people, uh, Paul Higson, uh, who's been a longtime GM uh, uh, of that club, first class guy. I have nothing but good things to say about him and the organization, Uh, And it was truly a different experience. The biggest shock for me was like when I'm going to Norway, I'm thinking when I am thinking Norway, I'm thinking Vikings. Right. So I'm thinking these players are all descendants of all these these horrible, you know, ravaging Vikings that terrorized Europe for years. These guys are going to be unbelievably tough and solid hockey players. Well, they are the most laid back people I've ever met in my life. And uh, the only time you see them really get worked up is when they have cross country skiing on television or biathlon. If they have biathlon and they're shooting guns and skiing, they get really worked up about that. But otherwise, they're pretty laid, bunch, uh, laid back bunch of people. But had a great time in uh, in Norway. I was only I only stayed for one year, but uh, uh, I have only good things to say about it. And it was really a good league. Uh, it was it was a fun league uh, to to coach in. And again, every time you have an experience like that in different countries, you learn something. You see different ways of doing things. You you get different ways of of, of preparation. You get different tactics. You do these different drills. You different ways of practicing. So these these are all add to you know your your kind of your war chest of of, of knowledge that you you accumulate as a coach over the years. But uh, I had a great time in Norway.
0: Yeah, and again, if you can go into a situation like that with an open mind and take something from it, I think it's positive. Um, no matter what the result is on the ice, and uh, again, you after that you had a quick stint in Austria, and yeah. you know having another opportunity to see things, and um, after that you would then go back to the NLA uh, with SC Baron and yeah. another championship um, with that program.
1: Yeah, uh, just maybe- a short, just a short uh, thing about Austria. I yeah. hadn't really had it on my radar, but they called me up, and uh, I was I knew I was only going to be staying in Norway for one year, but they called me up and flew me down to uh, to Villa, and the, the GM would walk me around town and, and, and uh, his closing remarks were basically, Larry says, you well, you know, we can't afford to pay you the kind of money you make in Switzerland, but if you come to Villaloc, you will golf and you will ski for free. <laughs> I said, I put out my hand. I said, okay, when do I start? <laughs> so I, And it was true. Like uh, my the local ski resort was just outside my apartment. I, I drove out the door and I had my skis in my box on the top of my car all the time and and I would look out and say, okay, I'm skiing this afternoon. I'm not skiing this afternoon. But, uh, again, great league, met a lot of great people, was a good time. And that, okay, so at the end of that season, then um, I'd missed out on the SC Baron job a couple of years before. It came down to me and John Van Boxmeer, who, again, is another longtime coach, was in the coaching National Hockey League and coached in Europe. Uh, and so I w- got the silver medal that time around. But, anyways, they called me up, and uh, they wanted to talk to me about the job. So uh, I flew, flew down to Switzerland and got in there and, and started talking to them. And uh, we headed off and they offered me the job and I took it over. And, and it was not an easy SC Baron is not an easy place uh, because expectations are always so high. Like it's the, the biggest club in Europe. They have over 16,000 fans every game, like every game, like not once in a while, every game. And uh, expectations are high. And, and uh, the team had finished two years in a row. In, uh, in first place and then got knocked out in the quarterfinals two years in a row. So, you know, going in there, you can imagine the pressure. Uh, we did end up that year finishing in first place again. And uh, going into that first round of the quarterfinals, uh, well, the pressure that was on everybody, but and it worked out really well. We blew through the first one 4-0. We went 4-0 in the semis, and then actually we were up 3-1 in the, in the finals uh, with Chris McSorley's team in Geneva. And uh, they, we let them off the mat and they came back and we took it to a game seven. But we won game seven, 4-1 at home in front of about, oh, I want to say 17,500, 18,000 spectators uh, that were in that rink. And it was just a great experience. It was wonderful because I could share it with my wife and my family. Uh, but my wife, that was one of the few championships that, that uh, our teams had won where she was actually there on site, that she was in the building, either we it on the road or she was back in the, back, back in North America. Uh, But for one reason or another, she was there uh, for that one. And it was just a a great experience. It was really a great experience.
0: Yeah, bringing it full circle whenever you can have your family enjoy the moment. And, uh, you know, now having three championships um, in that league and and a lot of success and, you know, enjoying the European game, definitely opportunities for you in other leagues and following your second stint in Lugano, as you hinted at earlier, um, you would then go to the DEL as a consultant and eventually a coach. Uh, maybe just touch on the difference in that league specifically and how you found yourself in Germany uh, working at the highest level.
1: Yeah, well, when I when I first um, my consulting job was through uh, uh, Pierre Page, who I worked with before earlier in uh, in Switzerland and their manager called me up. They were having a tough time. Uh, there was some issues going on within within the team and the coaching staff and just kind of they were just kind of unsettled. They just were kind of looking to find their way. And, uh, so I went down and I worked with them for a couple of weeks. I was in there for a couple of weeks and worked with the coaching staff and worked with the players. And I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it quite a bit actually. And, and so that kind of led to, okay, let's try Germany. So, um, Ingolstadt called me up just basically the, the GM came and spent a couple of days with me and went over the program and all that. And I said, great. Like one of the, the, the greatest things about that is that, uh, the main sponsor, that's the home of Audi. So everybody had very, very nice cars that was that was one thing that was very impressive. Uh, but the German League itself is a great league. I mean the travel is different. It's a big country like compared to Switzerland in Switzerland, I was home every night pretty much. Uh, in Germany, if you're like we're in in, uh, in Bavaria in the south and we had to, you know we're playing in the north uh, we would have to leave the day before we would leave the and bus it and then stay overnight and then bus it straight back after the game there so. You know, you were you were doing quite a bit more bussing. Uh, the game itself is very similar. Very experienced, older players, more experienced players. A lot of North American players in the German league. Uh, the German league isn't quite as fast as the NLA in Switzerland, uh, but structured wise and and for the coaching part of it, uh, a lot of good coaches uh, work in that league, have worked in that league. Uh, so it's a very comparable league. I mean, it's it's a it's a very it's one of the top European leagues for sure
0: yeah i always love hearing the the experiences especially in different countries and uh the d e l obviously being a top tier league n l a L.A. Uh, being another one uh your last two positions um you know uh, through elite prospects and and you can correct me if there was any after but uh yeah. one of them is with moto uh in the s h l adventure then back in the n l a uh, maybe first to talk about the, the Swedish job and, and talk about working with that program. And then your move back to the NLA uh, in another coaching position.
1: Yeah, it was, it was funny that um, with, in, in Ingolstadt, I was, I was having uh, my, my wife really enjoyed it there. We were enjoying it there. It was, it was a good time, but the team was kind of dragging their heels about extending my contract. And I was getting a little frustrated about that because our team was doing well. and, and, we had other opportunities. So I basically came down to that. So I had, I had uh, been offered the job in Moto uh, a couple of years before, and they kind of kept in touch with me. It was new GMs and new people, but the, the people within the club kind of kept in touch with me. So the GM came down to visit me and spent a couple of days with me in Germany. And we talked over things, talked over a lot of things. And, and uh, with Moto, Moto is a great developmental club. I mean, they've got the Sedin brothers came from there. Peter Forsberg, as from there, uh, uh, the Hedberg, like, uh, uh, the Hedbergs are from there. So it's, it's a great, great, uh, developmental club, but they kind of been in the bottom of the league for a few years. Now, Moto is in a small Northern town called Ernskoldsvik, And that's up way up North. It's about an hour and 15 minute flight North of Stockholm. So it's up near the coast of the Arctic circle. So you're quite a ways North. It's a small town, about 60,000 people. So it's difficult to recruit top uh, Swedish players in there. They don't have budget and it's not the most exciting place to live in the wintertime. So uh, they wanted to go a different route. They wanted to try it with more imports, more North American imports with a North American coach. So uh, Peter Forsberg uh, called me up and I kept thinking, this is friggin' Peter Forsberg I'm talking to right here. So Peter was very convincing about uh, what they wanted to do and the changes they wanted to make and that they were really... Ah, uh, hoping that I would come in and and uh, help them out, and uh, we ended up working out a deal. They gave me a two-year deal, and we were going to start. We had a lot of young players, a lot of young, really good, uh, young uh, Swedish players, and then we 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 tried to pick out. I think we ended up having to, to to sign twelve new North American players. Now, when you're signing that many players, okay, it's it's not you're not everybody's going to be a home run, you know, type of thing. But we had some issues there. We had two very young goaltenders, two 21-year-old goaltenders, which I will take responsibility for that because I agreed to start like that. I, we lost our, like Linus Olmark, who just signed with uh, uh, Boston, I believe, uh, was their number one the year before. And they thought that this 21-year-old was ready to step in. Well, it was, it was very difficult. I mean, you needed to have a veteran presence there. But anyway, a short story. Uh, our team started fairly well. We were four and four after the first uh, eight games. And then uh, we just had stuff pile up on us. I mean, uh, missing my, my two top defensemen, missing my two top centermen. And we, end, we ended up going losing six games in a row, five of them by one goal. And I got fired. So I was, what, uh, 14, 15 games into a two-year program, and I was done. And to me, it was it was a bit of a shocker because it all went so quickly. Like it was like I, that that was the first time ever anything had ever happened to me like that in my career. And I knew it was going to be a gamble uh, going in there. And um, but it's something I really wanted to do. I wanted to challenge myself. I wanted to work in that league. It was certainly a top league. Uh, there hadn't been a Canadian coaching as a head coach in that league for, I think, 20 years. Uh, so it was quite a compliment and I was the first North American coach for moto ever and probably the last. <laughs> so, uh, anyways, it was a big disappointment and I take responsibility for the decisions I made. There certainly it was, a, it was a steep learning curve, new league, new players, new ways of doing things. And I had to figure things out in a hurry. And I believe had we had a little bit more time, we could have got things straightened up, but you know, losing drives people crazy and they'd been losing for a few years. So. You know, it's easy to hit the panic button and and do this and get this coach and bring in another coach, but they just got, I think I was the ninth coach in eight years, so it might have been a tip-off that it wasn't going to be an easy easy gig, but I didn't go there because it was easy. I went there because I liked the people uh, that I was working with, and I loved the people I was working with. The guys on the team were good, but, again, you go into a team that has that type of losing culture, and it lost. It had had a winning culture, but it kind of lost its way, and to get I get that turned around, it, that's 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 the mental part is the hardest thing to get turned around. But we had some very good, uh, very good young uh, young players that went on to play in the National Hockey League, playing in the National Hockey League today uh, that we had uh, playing on that team as eighteen year olds and nineteen year olds. So uh, it was an interesting experience. But that's the one one place in my life I would really really like to have a do over. Because there's some things that I would definitely do differently from the start that could have made. And the first thing I would insist on is getting an import goaltender to work along with my 21-year-old and have them change off and learn from them. And it would have been much better for everybody. And then injuries always play a part of it. Uh, I got to meet uh, Ryan Whitney. Uh, Of course, you know about uh, Spitting Chicklets and his podcast and what he's been doing since then. Uh, but uh, so Ryan played. He was to be my one of my number my number one or number two defenseman. He played two games and retired, and uh, he just couldn't do it. He was physically beat up. Uh, he had problems with his foot. He just physically couldn't do it anymore, which was unfortunate. But a great guy, funny as hell. I mean, he's found his niche now because he should have been. He was a stand up comedian on skates essentially. So uh, I'm I'm happy for Wit, and, and the things worked out for him. But it didn't help me too much, you know that. Uh, uh, but it was one of those things that, uh, again, it's experience. My, the best memory of Sweden and northern Sweden was the blueberries. Man, you go out into the woods out there and you just have blueberries, acres and acres of blueberries, and I love blueberries. So I remember uh, telling my wife, she, she would call, you know, she was still in the States and she would call me and say, well, what'd you do this afternoon? Say, so I went and picked blueberries. She said, again, so there's not going to be anything left for the animals. And I said, you have no idea how many blueberries there are in the forest of Sweden. It's like blueberries, a go-go. Uh, so anyway, uh, it, was, it was a positive experience. It was unfortunate it didn't last longer because I love the league. I love the competition. Great coaches in that league, great players in that league. It was really a good spot to be, but I, uh, there's definitely some things I would like to have done over differently.
0: Yeah, and I think anytime uh, you don't leave on your own terms is definitely things that you yeah. realize maybe you could have done differently, and I think that's all part of the growing as a coach and as a player and scout or whatever the case may be. And uh, you know, in, in Europe, definitely you have to understand every league's a little bit different. There's different ways of doing things, and uh, you know, there's people like yourself know that better than anybody. But I, I guess a question, uh, kind of getting some more reflective and opinion questions now. Uh, for people looking to make that transition into the European game, maybe coming from North America or somewhere different, um, what advice do you have, or or just some general guidance in in getting into the European hockey field?
1: Yeah, it's. I mean, there's no really one way of of doing it. I mean, there's a lot of different ways. I mean, through through agents, through contacts, through through ex players. So you know, there's a lot of players that played that had people that work in Europe that have contacts. I mean, you have to kind of work as many angles as possible uh, for North American coaches to go over. Obviously, if you have a, a you know, a solid resume uh, behind you, uh, whether it be in, in, uh, in junior hockey, college, university, professionals like minor pro, uh, if you have a solid record behind you, uh, they like to see uh, people that have that gone through the certification programs, whether it be USA hockey or hockey Canada, that have certain levels that shows a certain level of competence and, you know, commitment to coaching. Uh, they like to see that. And uh, plus, a lot of the places there, they get money. Like they, if they hire coaches at a certain level, they give equivalents uh, for the European levels. So they get paid money if they have uh, coaches of a certain standing working in their team. Uh, what I tell people, I said, the, what you have to do is you have to get to know the decision makers uh, on the European teams. And I tell people that if you're really serious about working in Europe and going to Europe, I suggest doing a the cup of coffee tour. And what I mean is that. You can get in touch with clubs and get in touch with teams and say that, look, you've heard a lot of good things about their their club. I'm going to be in the area on these two days. Would you have time for a cup of coffee? I'd like to learn more about your team and your club and, and your league and how you do things. And you introduce yourself. And you, you're you not asking like for a, a formal job interview. You're just asking for a cup of coffee and to get a chance to know more about them. And then you make a personal contact. And then if you contact 10 European clubs, you might get two replies, three replies out of that. You might get one or two cups of coffee, but that's a start. And then when they do, you might not get a job right away. You may, but now you've met somebody who's in the decision-making position that sometime sooner or later, they're going to be needing a coach. And if you've made an impression with them, they might just give you a call, but you have to get to know the decision makers. Okay. I think that's really an important part of it, unless... You know, your are Barry Trotz or somebody that is very, very well known in North America because they tend to go more with coaches that have European experience than coaches that are straight out of North America that never have played or coached in Europe. Uh, They tend to go with who they know. And that's why if you get into the European coaching circle, I call it the European Coaching Country Club, which I'm a member of, have been a member of. If you get inside that country club and you have some success and people know you, uh, people tend to go with people that they know and say, well, he's won championships here or whatever, you know, let's give him another shot. or you know we know that we're, we have a, we have certain expectations of a, of the competency that he can deliver to us. So uh, it's getting that your foot in the door. That can be a tricky thing. You can even go as an assistant coach to, to do that. That's also a possibility uh, to to go that way. but uh, there's no one way. but the, the best way is is uh, get yourself, develop a good resume, do your certification programs, any language skills are helpful? Uh, but you have to get to know the decision makers.
0: Yeah, it's great advice. And, and definitely, um, you know, like any level, it's good to, to know the people who are making the decisions at the end of the day, but, um, you know, coming from North America to Europe, it's definitely an adjustment and, and you really want to make sure you make a personal connection first and foremost. And, um, you know, in, in, terms of looking for people, like you said, that they have a comfort level with, um, that comfort level can come, uh, at different levels. And one of them is actually knowing the game or, or knowing that league specifically, Uh, Just from your experience, having coached in in different leagues and and knowing the different styles, um, how different are those styles between each league and how often did you have to change your approach as a coach? Or is it something you kind of didn't really change with having success in, in different leagues?
1: Well, I think one of the the primary qualities that any successful coach has is ability to change. I mean, you start out with an idea obviously and that goes from a game plan to a season plan to a, a team building plan to whatever you want to do but uh, you have to be able to adapt and change and and uh, you know Sweden let's go back and talk about moto like I went in and i had we just the year before uh, like with uh, Ingolstadt we'd gone to the deL finals uh we lost to Mannheim, which is a very good team jeff Ward was coaching that team uh, in Mannheim and uh, they ended up in the season in first place. And there was a reason for that. So we knew it was going to be tough. Uh, but again, coming off a very successful season, and then the successes that I'd had in Switzerland, and the experiences that I had all around, like I had a pretty good grasp on hockey in general. And and I certainly I'd played against Swedish teams and European Cup play and Champions League in that. So I was quite familiar with that. And of course, I watch a lot of hockey on the internet and watching games. But when you get into the middle of it where you're dealing with players and different players with different cultures and different ways of doing things, uh, you have to be able to adapt. And you go in there thinking you're going to play one way, but then you find, hmm, that's not working. I've got to find something else. I've got to, do, I've got to try something different because they're picking me apart. Okay, so they're, they're, I, I've got to find something new or something that's going to work. And then you just kind of you adapt, you, you adapt to that. And so that takes a bit of time. And uh, Germany was no different than than Sweden. Every time I moved to a different league, there's a little bit of a learning curve. Um, Did not survive the initial learning curve in Modo. Uh, But uh, when we started in Germany, like in Ingolstadt, uh, the first 10 games or so, uh, we struggled a little bit. They'd come off, they they surprisingly had won the championship the year before out of a ninth place finish. So they had kind of a Cinderella season. So there's a bit of a hangover left over there. And... Teams, the, the team as a whole, and certain players were just not buying in. They weren't committing to what we wanted to do. So I remember it came down to a weekend where I sat two of their stars in the stands uh, for a weekend, two game series. And people, like all right of the press, well, he's going to get fired and this isn't going to work out. And, and I promoted two other young players to take their place. And damn if we didn't win those two games. We won both those games with two those two guys sitting in the stands. When they came back, it was a whole different team. It was a whole different outlook. But sometimes you have to do drastic things. Sometimes you have to have a bit of a shock treatment to get the to, to get things moving. If you, you find yourself in a situation where the, the tendency is not going in the way that you want to do, as a coach, you have to take the bull by the horns, and sometimes you have to take risks. And you have to, you know, you have to make a stand and you have to make a statement about who you are as a coach and what you expect from your players and what's acceptable and what's not acceptable. So that was the, that was a statement moment. And from then on we took off and we had a great last uh, 40, 45 games of the season and, and uh, played very well. Uh, but getting back to your question as a coach, you start with one thing, but you have to adapt like you're given you're essentially most of the time you're given a team. If you have a little bit of influence on choosing import players or players that you might want to bring in from other teams or, or t- players that you know, that's always a positive. But you're generally given the team, and you got to make the best of it, right? So you have to – your job as a coach is to get as much out of every player and to get as much out of that team as you possibly can. You have to find a way. So you have to be able to, to change and adapt.
0: No, great points. And and I think coaches who are successful definitely learn that um, – that- Uh, mindset. And I think those that uh, don't ultimately learn that mindset don't find themselves coaching uh, at the high levels for very long and continuing on in in talking about European hockey, working different leagues and and being in so many different places, you've seen a lot of uh, unique cities, unique arenas and and, um, unique settings. So I guess just as a personal question, do you have a favorite place to play or coach or one place that maybe stood out uh, throughout your
1: time in Europe? Well, that's a good, that's a very, very good question. I mean, obviously, Coaching in Barron was very special. Every place I coached was special. Coaching in Barron was special because you have to imagine, like in that rink, you've got 16,000 fans in that rink. You're standing on a bench, but you have this whole, this huge wall, at least of, of you have 11,000 people standing on a large wall of people right in front of you. And that's, has always been so impressive. Like, and they're vocal, they're loud, they're cheering. They've got cowbells, they got every flags waving. I mean, it, it's a, it's a huge party. Um, as a player, you know, I'd have to go back and I remember the, the battles when I, my very first club in Europe was, uh, was Grenoble and, uh, Grenoble, the big, the big derby or the big, uh, the big, uh, rival that we had was with a little small ski village close there called Villard de Lens. And the rink actually was kind of a mini version of the, of the, uh, rink, like all the big wooden, uh, beams and the cathedral ceiling and all that. It kind of had a similar feel to it. But those games were awesome games. Like, those games, like, we had two teams that just hated each other, and it was great. You know, the rivalry, They like, I, at that, one, that time in France, you only had one import per team, and I was an import defenseman on my team. And they had, in, in Villard-DeLon, they had another defenseman import. His name was Francois Ouimet, who was a very good uh, player, Francois. So we would just go at each other, like, like, just tooth and nail, like, every game. But those games were the most fun. And so those were probably my best memories. Obviously, the time that we had in Rouen, we had a lot of success there. But as a player, that's when I was just a pure player, not a player coach, but just a player. Those were those were probably two of my most favorite places to play.
0: Yeah, I always love throwing that question in every now and then, just giving the getting the different approach from people in what they enjoy. And you know, as a player, uh, a lot of times it's the atmosphere. But coaching, it can definitely be some some other things.
1: And I, another question. So you ask a question about that. This might be another question that you ask to players or coaches going forward. Whenever I got into a new team and you do, you know, you do your one-on-ones with your players, you get to know them a little bit. The first question, usually the first question I would ask the players, and I always ask them the same question. I said, who was your favorite coach and why? You know, and that you, you can find out in a hurry. It tells you a lot about the type of player that they are. If the player answers you, they say, well, I liked, I liked uh, Ryan Stacey because he liked me and he played me a lot. Okay? Now, that this guy's going to be challenging to coach, you know? If the player, most players will answer you and tell you that, well, they like this, they like the particular coach because uh, he was straight with them, they trusted him, they pushed him, and he made them better players. Those were kind of the things that 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 would stand out for most of the, most of those, those guys. But it's always interesting to see a response you get on that from, from players uh, of what they get. Now, if you ask me that question, I had a lot of really, really good coaches. I had some bad ones, but it's almost as important to have the bad ones as well because you learn from everyone because it's important to know what not to do because I certainly learned from some coaches what not to do. But I had some really, really good coaches. But uh, I, had, I had two that stick out in my mind was Bob McGammon. Uh, Bob McGammon went on to coach the Philadelphia Flyers he coached me my first year pro when i was playing in uh, Port Huron in the international hockey league and uh, really a player's kind of coach straightforward kind of guy no messing around if you if he you knew when he was happy knew when he wasn't happy and he built you up he made you feel like you were you were special he had a, he made he went out of his way to have a personal contact with you and the other coach that i really loved playing with as a, as a pro was Jack Evans and Jack Evans, uh, he coached, I think he coached the Cleveland Bears. He coached in Minnesota, I think, in the National Hockey League. I had Jack when I played in Salt Lake City. But again, Jack was a straightforward guy, honest, honest, honest guy. There was no baloney with him. He told you exactly what he was thinking at all times. And when you did something he liked, he told you about it. And when you weren't doing something like, he let you know about that as well. But you always felt that he had your back. and You always felt that he supported you. And uh, so those, those were two and two of my favorite coaches. And that's why they were my favorite coaches
0: no it's a another great question and something that i think a lot of people will definitely look to implement with their own teams coming into a new program and you know every coach has their own um, philosophies their own way of doing things and uh, sometimes you learn good things and as you said sometimes it's good to have coaches who maybe don't fit your ideal um you know your ideal coaching style and things like that so you can learn from that as well and uh, you know learning all these different things throughout your career um you're in a good situation now where you're able to kind of put it into a program or something that inspires you. And Hockey Coach Vision is is kind of the the next step for you and what you're dealing with now as a co-founder. So uh, we always give people the opportunity to talk about their current projects. So uh, maybe fill people in on Hockey Coach Vision and just talk about your goals with the brand and, and just share some more information on that.
1: I appreciate that, Ryan. I mean, with, with Hockey Coach Vision, uh, essentially what it is, it's a it's an application it's a software program that allows coaches to uh, create and share uh, drills and tactical files in animated 3D and animated 2D. So basically, I can put together animated drills, put together an entire practice plan and sell it, send it right to your smartphone. So it allows uh, players and coaches and parents to preview practice before they get to the rink. And now with these days, these COVID these COVID times, uh, people don't have a whole lot of time uh, to spend with their players. So if I can send like say, for example, my Bantam team or my midget team, I can send a practice to them and said, uh, hi, this is coach, Uh, know these first four drills uh, because we're not going to do any whiteboard when we get on the ice. And the players step on the ice and they just go. So if you've got 50 minutes of ice time, if I can save you six or eight minutes in front of a whiteboard, that's that's an amazing amount of of repetitions that they're going to get over a year's time. But essentially with the 3D animation, It's the way to go because there's a lot of of drill drawing programs out there. But at the end of the day, if the coach is still standing on the ice in front of a whiteboard talking to his players, you haven't really gained much. So what we have now is we have teams in National Hockey League, NCAA, uh, all over Europe, uh, Major Junior A. But uh, we're in 38 countries, 13 different languages. Uh, If you're interested in something like that or into coaching or or, or looking like that, uh, come check out our website. We have a bunch of free drills on there, coaches. Uh, even if you just come and look in, uh, and steal new drills, I'm the biggest thief in the world. A lot of them, 90% of my drills are stolen from other coaches. So I'm just handing them back what I stole from other people. Uh, but the website is www.hockeycoachvision.com. And uh, yeah, there's ways of contact. Just let us know. But uh, check us out. I think you'd find it very interesting. But 3D, 3D animation, we even have virtual reality views. Uh, it's really a cool coaching tool. Uh, and I think it is like uh, this is the this is the future uh, of of coaching is as in that you now like with NHL teams they have you know you see everybody with the headgear and the Oculus Rift and the virtual reality and this is the way it's going but um, it's been a great project uh, I'm partnered up with my partner Philip Kostovic uh, who is from Switzerland as well and uh, we've been working at this for five or six years now and uh, put together a pretty amazing program so. Uh, please come and check us out. Uh, I think you'll find it's pretty amazing.
0: Yeah. And, you know, it is a great program and I've seen the videos and, and her people who have gone through experiences looking into it and using it. And uh, we'll be sure to share some videos online as well for listeners who are maybe looking to uh, get more of a visual. And um, I I think it's a great program just because, you know, visual learning uh, is definitely the way that people are going and as a video coach myself, I'm, I'm an advocate for, for visual learning and and game plays, but I think uh, maximizing practice time and, um, adding that feature and getting away from the whiteboard is, is definitely something that I'm sure players will enjoy. And and like, it's kind of a refreshing idea. And, and then the coaches are able to maximize their ice time as well, which, um, you know, was never a problem.
1: Yeah. The conversations usually go like this, Ryan, like if I'm talking to coaches that are over 40 years old uh, and I show it to them, they, they always say, Hey, that's really cool. That's really great. But I'm comfortable working the way I am. They've got their book of drills, their whiteboard and their whistle, and that's just the way they work. And I say, well, Yeah, you're probably right. You don't probably need this, but your players, your players are going to love it. Because when we start looking at it through the eyes of the players of what the players need, it's a whole different ballgame. Because if I can tell you that your players are going to pick up things 60, 70 percent faster by looking at them with the animation and the 3D animation then rather than you try to explain things on a whiteboard, I said that only makes sense to me as a coach that I want my players to learn, absorb as much as they can, as quickly as possible. That's going to make them better players. It's going to make us a better team. So this is the way that it's going. And for sure, like at the college university level, they're generally more forward thinking people. Uh, it's become very, very popular there. Like we have like our, our main just rattle off a few like uh, Boston college and Notre Dame university, university of Maine black bears. Uh, so that, that, these programs are run by people that are forward thinking and looking, always looking for new ways of doing things. But uh, uh, feedback has been great from the coaches. And uh, I tell people we have the greatest coaching app that nobody's ever heard of, Ryan. Uh, we're still a very small country. We, like we depend on on word of mouth uh, doing things like this where we go out in public and, and kind of get make people aware of who we are and where to, where to take a look at us. Uh, but you're not going to see us in hockey night in Canada. We can't afford those ad not Not right away anyway.
0: No, and, and I think the, the people that uh, rely on that word of mouth, you get the genuine impression, especially hearing it from your own contacts. And um, it's great to see how the brand has grown since it started. I have someone that kind of caught on early on just seeing how it all worked. And um, I, I hope that it continues to go in that right direction and kind of leading into using resources and, and that being a great practice resource for visual learners. Um, A lot of people learn through different ways and I find people in hockey operations grab things from books, articles, uh, conferences, all these different things. So for you personally, what are maybe some recommendations that you have, whether it's books or articles or um, just things that you've picked up uh, new ideas from over time?
1: Yeah. I mean, I've, I've been uh, very, very uh, fortunate. I've I've read, I, you know, I read a lot of books. I read a lot of stuff. Uh, The ones that, uh, that uh, stick out to me, uh is uh winning every day. Uh and now I got to get these titles right because I think the winner within uh is uh, there's the book by by basically uh Pat Riley who was the the coach of the Los Angeles Kings back in the day. That's a fabulous book. Uh I believe that's the winner within. And uh and then uh uh Lou Holtz has a great uh a great uh book and it's called Winning Every Day, I believe. And uh both of those books are really good. I mean, uh the uh, Phil Jackson's book is very good. And then you get into um like other other books. Um, when I'm I'm looking at uh Daniel Coyle's books, uh, all of Daniel Coyle's books are very good. Um uh, the uh talent code, uh excellent book. I think mean, to break down and uh, coaches really think about how they're practicing, why they're practicing, what they're working on. I think if you read the talent code, uh I think it's going to give you a good insight as to Why you get certain clubs in certain areas in certain countries that produce top athletes more than others do? What are they doing differently? And this he kind of takes a look at that, you know. And uh, he's he's a really really good uh, really really good uh, uh, author. But uh, I encourage people to to go ahead and read that to read these these people that have had success and see exactly how they're going about and doing things. But uh, yeah, watching and movies and things like that. I mean, there's it's it's great. You get inspiration wherever you find it. You know, but uh, reading books is is definitely a good way.
0: Yeah, no, there's some great recommendations there, and uh, definitely a question that puts people on the spot sometimes. Just with so many resources out there, and trying to go back over time and and think about the things that you've drawn from. But the reality is, you draw from so many different places.
1: Yeah, one more one more I want to mention is Malcolm Gladwell, uh, Elmira Boy, woo hoo, uh, go answers. So uh, like his books, uh, Turning Point, Blink. I mean, uh, they're fantastic. Really a deep thinker. And uh, I've, I've enjoyed every one of his books. Uh, really, really good. Uh, the Outliers, uh, really, really interesting stuff.
0: Yeah. Anything that expands your thinking or challenges the way you think currently, I think, is a, is a, a good direction to go in and a great book to read. And um, now kind of closing in on the end of our interview here, which I've thoroughly enjoyed, um, as a final question, and we ask this to everyone who comes on the podcast if you could go back in time and maybe talk to yourself when you were looking to get into coaching or talk to someone new who's looking to get into the field, what's one final piece of advice that you would give them in hopes that they would be successful?
1: I would say right off the top of my head, be a better listener than a talker and listening is a real talent. I'm a natural talker. You might've noticed I can go on. We could do this for hours. Uh, Listening is a challenge. It has always been a challenge for me because I have so much good stuff to stay, Ryan. I only have the limited time, but you know, when people are talking, you have a tendency to already be thinking about what you're going to say. And you stop listening. You know, you really have to listen. And I'll give you just a short, short example is that, um, I think it was year two or three that I was in Lugano and we were in training camp and one of my national team defensemen, was having a really really tough training camp he was just not playing well at all and it got to a point in an exhibition game where i actually benched him now this is a national team defenseman this is one of the best in the league i don't think he'd been benched in 15 years but i benched him because he was horrible and after the game i didn't talk to him because i knew he was pretty hot i didn't want to get into an argument right away but everybody was kind of watching to see what was going to happen the next day i brought him into my office and we sat down and we started talking and he gave me every excuse ever the sun. I mean, he admitted he wasn't playing well, but it was the sticks, it was his equipment, it was the way that we practiced, it was his teammates, it was the system. It got like it was like it was kind of getting to the point. And then I was just listening, and then it got to the point where we were coming to an end where he got up to walk away, where then he said to me, Well, it doesn't really matter what I say, anyways, Larry. You don't like me. Ah, there's the issue. Okay, all this other stuff was just. Were, were just symptoms. Here was the problem. He thought that I was tough on him or I was riding him or I benched him because I didn't like him personally. So that's when I had to sit him down and, and say to him, and I've used this many times since that time said, look at Ryan, I like you. Personally, I like you. You're a good guy. You work hard. You're a family guy. You're a good guy in the dressing room. I would probably be your friend if we were teammates. I like you, but I don't like what you're doing. You have to be able to separate what they're doing from the, actually the personality. But that is something that had I not listened, had I not been listening to the whole thing and trying to analyze, I would have passed it over. I just said, okay, he's just making excuses, you know, whatever. But you have to be able to listen to people because 80% of finding a solution is knowing what the actual problem is. A lot of times we just treat the symptoms. You know, you're you're seeing your team's not functioning well. Why is it not functioning well? You're seeing a player that's not playing well. Well, why is he not playing well? You have to get to the root of the problem to find out what it is. And oftentimes if you're a good listener, you can figure it out. Uh, but that is something as a Larry, as a younger coach, I would say, shut up. Don't talk as much, listen more. And, uh, you'll, you'll gain much more knowledge and you'll be a better coach for it.
0: Yeah. Tremendous advice. And I think that people at all levels should take that to heart, you know, listen to what's going on. Don't be, um, always just trying to get your two cents in because, you know, you'll, you'll miss some things and, Uh, When you pick up on those things, you become better for it.
1: There's a reason God gave us two two ears and one mouth, so that we can listen twice as much as we talk. So if you can remember that from tonight's podcast, uh, coaches and players and people, I said that uh, it hasn't been a total waste of time. (laughs)
0: no that's that's for sure and i think we learned a lot of great lessons and a lot of great advice came from this podcast so larry thanks again for joining me uh, on the show i really appreciate it appreciate all the insight and um and the the conversation and uh with that i wish you all the best with your brand and personally i wish you all the best moving forward
1: thanks for the opportunity ryan and thanks for tuning in to uh, listen to us and please come check us out at hockeycoachvision.com
0: all right thanks again take care One thing that fans within the game, hockey minds, and players can agree upon is that when done responsibly, there's nothing better at the end of the day than a cold beer that you enjoy for both its taste and its aroma. And this segment of the Hockey Minds podcast is brought to you by Kitty Vitty Brewery. You can visit their tap room now open seven days a week and their new retail location in St. John's, Newfoundland at 16 Harborview Avenue. If you're one of those people who are maybe looking for some more entertainment somewhere to sit with friends you can definitely check out their original location in kitty Vitty, newfoundland join the kitty viddy craft club at kittyvittybrewery.ca and give them a follow on social media to keep up to date on the latest brew news if you're not from newfoundland and not from the east coast and you want to get involved definitely follow them on social media and learn more about their beer which is great for a casual beer drinking fan and also the beer enthusiasts and stay tuned because who knows maybe they'll find their way to get their beer to a location near you check out kitty vitty brewery today for more information on their beer clothing and all things kitty vitty brewery i'd like to thank larry for coming on the podcast and talking about his career and his new coaching brand he's a very honest coach who has seen both sides of the game having been a successful player as well and I think there were a lot of great lessons presented in this interview that coaches can learn from and take things from. If you would like to get in touch with Larry to learn more about his experiences or to learn about his brand, I encourage you to reach out to him directly or you can contact hockey Minds Podcast at Outlook.com and I can help make that connection for you. Check out our social media accounts over the next few days as we announce a number of new guests as we ramp up our production heading into the new hockey season. And once again, thank you everyone for supporting the podcast and be sure to give us your thoughts and opinions on the podcast on our social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and more. As always, stay safe and all the best.